Hey, what's up? It's Dr. Josh. And I know you've heard me talk about Clinic Gym Connect, but the power of Clinic Gym Connect is really well demonstrated in following up with patients who already know, like, and trust you. So here's two users, Dr. Carson Ani from Capital Sports Medicine and his office manager, Mark, talking about how you can use Clinic Gym Connect to follow up with your very interested, very warm clients. It's always hard to bring in new people and it's just easier to talk with the people that already know, like, and trust you. And so once we figured out that Clinic Gym Connect was a software that can really help with that, I took Mark through all the trainings and said, have at it. I wanted to contact the most recent patients that have been in. Dr. Carson showed me Clinic Gym Connect. All it was, I would go to the patient list, run a report from our EHR, tag them as a 30, 60, 90 patient. They open our dialer, send them a custom text, sends their name automatically. If they respond, great. If not, shoot them a call and had a nice voicemail feature that I could just click. And it saved me for every 50 patients, which would normally take me a few hours. I could get that done in 45 minutes. It was a personal touch that they weren't used to. And it didn't take a lot of effort on our end at all. That's how easy it is. And you can see that the 30, 60, 90 campaign is super powerful. And get this, it's already in your account when you sign up for Clinic Gym Connect. So if you're interested in following up with those patients who know, like, and trust you, and you want to do it at intervals like 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days, check out clinicgymconnect.com. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist that believes in exercise, wants to make some money, and wants to provide the absolute best care for your patients? Well, then you are in the right place. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and this is Clinic Gym Radio, where we talk about the Clinic Gym hybrid model, which is combining the best parts of healthcare with active care and fantastic exercise programs to get patients the best care they can while helping you make more money in this game. This is Clinic Gym Radio, and I'm Dr. Josh Satterley. I'm excited for you to be here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by Mel Davis. Mel, how's it going? It's going really good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, Mel, you are from RP Strength, which ironically has a very funny uh, renaissance periodization strength, which, yeah. as you said, is <laughs> kind of tough for people to spell on uh, on the old internets. So you go yeah. by RP Strength. Yeah. <laughs> But can you give my listeners a little background on to, you know, what is RP strength and maybe yeah. the origin story? Absolutely. Yeah. So RP started out uh, as Renaissance periodization and we quickly realized, as you said, that's hard to spell and hard to say sometimes. So just to make it easier on our clients, we switched to the acronym RP. Um, it was started by a good friend of mine. Some of you guys might be familiar with Dr. Mike Isertel and uh, Nick Shaw. And they just sort of started out making templates for people to lift and nutrition, like doing it for their family. And people had such good results because they were doing very science-based stuff. Um, Dr. Mike has a PhD in sports physiology um, that word spread and it quickly grew into an actual company. And we now have coaches who do training and diet for everyone from a mom interested in getting a little bit healthier to like an elite athlete in physique sport. And uh, yeah, we started doing a bunch of books and a bunch of educational materials and just sort of branching out as much as we can, trying to help people get fit, but stay happy, not get crazy with it. <laughs> Unless yeah, they want to. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's funny how that does happen with fitness. I mean, it's a weird thing. Uh, I was looking through your Instagram posts and, and at one point you talk about like, oh, you know, you need this balance of things that make you comfortable and things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I always joke, like if you go to the gym 
you know, you get the super flexible woman. She goes up to yoga class because she's like, Hey, I'm flexible and it works well. And right, I'm good class. at this. I feel good. <laughs> yeah. But she probably could use a two days of lifting a week. And then you get right. the guy who lifts every day and it's like, Hey, have you thought about going to a yoga class? It's like, no way. I, I like I'm to lift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny how we do that. But the flip side is when you do see those people, you know, I remember back in the day when I was going to a CrossFit box and you see the people where they have those enormous shifts in their health, you know, multifactorial, enormous shifts, and they kind of start hitting those breakthroughs. I always think for women, it's when a woman can do a body weight pull up, you know, like that is a breakthrough moment. Oh yeah. And for, for guys, I think it's around the five pull up mark with no, you know, no kipping, no bands, no nothing, just five pull ups or both like hit a body weight deadlift seems to be like a stepping stone or a keystone. Pretty solid. Yeah. When you see that happen and then they just like, you know, their entire wardrobe starts changing their, their off days, you know, go from blue jeans to more workout gear. And then, you know, and it even gets to the point where they're like, what should I do over the weekend? And it's, well, I want to work out because that's their, not just, you know, their identity or whatnot, but it's funny how there are those people where they're so drastically different than the two years prior. And then there are the same people that stay like, they're only one willing to get like, I don't know what it is, half of one standard deviation of discomfort, right? Like don't push (laughs) it too far either way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, as think, you've seen that, go ahead. Yeah, I'd love yeah, to get your perspective on that. Totally. I think that once you get past, there's a certain point and it, uh, these accomplishments feed your self-efficacy. I think that's when you sort of get the snowball effect of people mm-hmm. getting more and more into whatever they're into. It reminds me of a quote, and I don't know who the author is, but I love it because I think it's the process of being starting as a noob and then becoming good at something and how how good that is for people's self-confidence mm-hmm. and happiness. It's uh, make the impossible possible, the possible easy and the easy elegant. And I love that because you start out at something, you know, it seems impossible to even get the mechanics of a squat, right? And mm-hmm. then eventually you're doing what seemed impossible. Eventually you're making it look easy. And eventually it's an elegant process where you just keep adding and it's uh, become yeah. easy and it just flows. And I think that's a really important part of people's self-efficacy and happiness and fitness can often provide that. A little bit nice. of a tangent, but... No, it's great. I, I was watching, a, I don't know if you remember that, um, Netflix had this like Tony Robbins documentary called I'm, I'm Not Your Guru or something like that. And he brought up an interesting point on there that I think is like a synonym. He says, you know, in everybody's life, they want tradition and um, they want to hold some things traditional and they want to have new experiences. So, for example, at Thanksgiving, it's a very traditional feel, right? You want to go to the same, you want roughly the same people to be at the table. You you know, if you've always been at a big table of 20 people, that to you is like, that's Thanksgiving. Right. And then you want the traditional things like, hey, we need turkey and vegetables and a potato, but he's like, you, you know, most people will tolerate a little bit of non-tradition there, a, a little bit of new idea. But then the flip side of that is, you know, some people, some people go to the same place every year. Hey, my family always meets up at this lake in Minnesota. And then there are the, but those same people typically go, Oh, I want to go someplace new as well. So I want to, we went to Hawaii last year. Let's go to France this year. We went right. to Costa Rica. Let's go to, you know, Banff. <laughs> And it's, it's funny how we need those two things in our lives psychologically. And then we Absolutely, also need them yeah. in fitness wise. Like you can get so bored. And so, and, and not just, I don't know if it's bored. The, there is that exciting part of new, of a new exercise program where you do 
you, you achieve a lot of small wins because yeah. you're in the land of achievement, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think part of the distinction between the, the sort of extremes with what people do are sort of knowledge and ability zones. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are willing to step a little bit outside of their knowledge and ability zone, but making a huge step outside can be too overwhelming and end up pushing people into being hesitant or afraid to, yeah. to make the moves. So I think like sometimes we see that and we don't realize like, what is a little step for one person is a giant step for another person outside of their comfort zone. So that can be sort of the differentiating factor, I think. And like yeah. people do best when they make what feels to them like little steps, even if it might look like a larger step to other people. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I think what's interesting about the listeners of this program, most of them are chiropractors and physical therapists, and they're seeing people at an inflection point, meaning most of the people they see have pain, you know, and they're like, Hey, I yeah. want to deal with this injury. And because we're healthcare providers and we have a lot of knowledge around this, we maybe see a pathway where we're like, oh, you're going to be, you know, in super, like a year from now, I'm going to help you get in great shape and your nutrition will be perfect and you'll sleep enough and you'll be fully hydrated (laughs) and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, except for the part where this is a human being you're dealing with, you know? Right. (laughs) But when we get to that point where we have a person and we really do think that like, say, you know, it's very common to say like, hey, generalized fitness is the best recovery plan for you. When we get to that point, what are some ways that you would recommend we, you know, either questions to ask or methods to use where we don't make that person feel so overwhelmed that they're like, there's no way I could ever climb Mount Everest. And it's like, I'm not asking for Everest. I'm asking for the hill in, you know, in your town. Yeah. 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 So I think um, that's, that's funny. I think that's something that uh, new coaches in particular do a lot. Like I remember when I first started coaching, I was like, I had this wealth of information at my fingertips. Like I knew exactly how many carbs they needed at what moment of the day to make them like an ideal physique athlete. And they needed to train six times a week. And like, I could do so much. And I would get so disappointed when I would make this optimal plan and people wouldn't stick to it. And after, you know, experience and like reading and understanding a little more, you realize, well, like, did they even want that level of results? Were they willing to make the trade-offs that I was foisting upon them because it was the absolute optimal plan, right? So I think like the first thing to do is like sit down with your client and figure out what their actual goals are. Like someone might come in, um, obviously I'm not a PT, but just like guessing someone might come in and be like, you know what, I just want to do the laundry and walk my dog without my neck hurting, you know? Other people might come in and say, like, I want to climb Mount Everest. I want to downhill my mountain bike ride. And now, right now, I can't do laundry. Like, how do I get from here to there? And making sure, like, you have their actual goals and their willingness to trade off other parts of their life for progress in mind when you're crafting a plan. And it can be hard when you, you know, you want to give them more, you want them to have more results, but you have to take into consideration, like, what their personal priorities and trade off willingness is. Do you, do you think that that's been an advantage for you guys since you, you know, most of your clients are not geographically in the same place as you are, right? Right. And so I would just guess that at intake, you get a, uh, maybe I would say a filtered view or a filtered version of that person rather than, you know, you're not living with that person going, you know, and they're saying, I'm going to work out five days a week, two hours. And you're like, dude, I know you like, (laughs) we were, we were drinking beer and eating hot wings last night for the fourth night this week, like, right. And you you suggested we go tomorrow. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So a hundred percent. I think that's definitely one of the limitations of digital coaching. It requires a little bit more sort of a tweaking of your communication to get people to tell you the truth. Cause very often, you know, they, they want to present to you what they think you'll be impressed with. So I think 
at least for me, what's helped a lot is telling my clients some of my own like diet failure stories and mm-hmm. ways that I've messed up. Like uh, I did one of my, the first diets I ever did before I knew anything. This was actually run by Dr. Mike before he was Dr. Mike. And it was a four month awful diet um, for me to do a physique show that I don't think I even really wanted to do. I'm not sure why I was doing it, but Thanksgiving. So I dieted through the holidays, which I don't usually recommend people do unless they're really hardcore after a sport goal. Um, And my roommate found me sitting on the kitchen floor inside the refrigerator, eating a pumpkin pie with my hands. And I still had like three (laughs) weeks of diet left. I just woke up at like one in the morning and I was like, you know what? Pumpkin pie. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So like, uh, I like to bring up stories like that to them so they understand that they don't need to impress me. Like I'm a fallible human too. And just because I'm coaching them doesn't mean that I don't understand like those trade-off limitations or that I don't make my own trade-offs, you know? So I think that can be a helpful factor. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because I wonder, you know, I'm sure because you guys do see that, you know, uh, what would I say? Gracious view people sometimes have in themselves. Like one trick I always use when I have somebody coming in, I'll ask, especially with men, this works well. <laughs> and I'll say, uh, how bad is your back pain? And they're like, oh, it's not too bad. You know, it just bothers me every day. And I always ask, what would your <laughs> wife tell me? If I asked her that same question, <laughs> they pause and they say, well, she'd tell you it hurts me every time I yeah. do she anything. She made me come in here because I complain all the time. Yeah. Right. Because much like fitness too, when you do have the, you know, a pain that's just bugging you, you change what you do every day. Like, you right. know, oh, I don't, my back doesn't hurt every day, but I have stopped mowing the lawn, doing laundry, right. unload the dishwasher. I don't put, you know, reorganize the closets. Uh, my, my garage is a mess because I don't want to move anything around. And right. I haven't vacuumed in six months. And it's like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, so there's nothing it's left. It's not just yeah. a little problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I, you know, in fitness, it's the same thing. When you look at people who are, who are fit, you know, it's, it's interesting that oftentimes the, you know, the ones that are super fit, that they have so many micro habits that are inherently healthier, you yeah. know, whether it's, uh, I remember this woman that I knew and we went to the same, um, seminar over a weekend and we were both staying on the sixth floor and she refused to take the elevator. She's like, nah, I just I'm like, you know, it's, you're going to climb six stories of, of, of stairs every time. She's like, yeah, just, I don't know. Like, cause she said, if it's really that important, I'll go downstairs and come back up, but it helps me figure out what's really important. Like, right, you know, right. you're not going to run down. <laughs> Let me just grab a quick bag of chips or something. It's like, <laughs> Hey, we're all, you know, but Hey, a few of us are going out and we want to hang out and we're talking. It's like, Oh, that is a socially worthwhile experience. I shall do yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so it's, it's when we're again, going back to like getting people better in, in our healthcare, it's like, yeah, we can treat you in this office, but there is a lot like, can you sleep a little better? Can you eat a little better? Can you right. do these different smart habits? Um, I know that you, you wrote a book around sleep habits, right? Uh, it's just around habits in general, just okay. uh, behavior change. Yeah. Actually okay. I wrote a recovery by co-authored a recovery book also that talks a lot about sleep, but the habit nice. book is more a behavior change book. Yeah. Well, since you dove into sleep, and I know that is a big deal because a mm-hmm. lot of us, you know, as we're treating people, if we ask, they are only sleeping five to six hours a night and sleep's the only time really like, especially if you have, if you're involving the nervous system, like that's the only real time it recovers. Yep. Um, what recommendations do you have around like building those habits specific to sleep or anything really? But I think that's a big, a big thing that gets ignored in clinical care sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really sad that it gets ignored too, because it's such a huge factor. And, you know, 
like you said, recovery and even just adaptation. Let's say you're not trying to recover from anything and you just want your workouts to actually change mm-hmm. your body. Guess what? If you don't sleep enough, you don't have the resources to make those adaptations. So your workouts are just kind of a waste of time in some sense. Um, but yeah, in terms of making good sleep habits, having good sleep hygiene is some things you already, you know, people hear a lot, but don't realize how important it really is. Like get away from the screen, your computer, your phone, 30 to 60 minutes before you're going to go to sleep really helps your brain get ready to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, make sure that you are can we drinking. can we pause real quick let's just yeah. dive into that one because oh sure sure i think that gets discussed all the time but then i look at myself and all my my kids my friends and everything and it, it's like the you know getting away from a screen it's tough these yeah. days i mean because it's like all right i turned off the tv but then i started watching youtube videos on my phone right you know and then and then oh my kids are on their kindle or they're on their then you know they're on their video games what are some ways to give, not just to tell people put away the screen, but Hey, here's an alternative, right? Yeah. So I think something that helps, that's also another aspect of having a good, good sleep hygiene is to have a sort of bedtime routine. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time you end up taking away time from the screen just by having this routine. Like for me, I take, you know, my vitamins I take at night. I have a cup of tea. I brush my teeth. I take a shower, like I have a series of things that I do every night before I go to bed and there's no screen during that time. And then when I get in bed, I have a couple of books that I'm interested in that I never have time to read because the rest of my life is too crazy. And I put them next to the bed. And then if I'm still awake by the time I get in bed, I'll read a few pages from one of those books. And that just sort of, it steals away time that I might've been looking at a screen and puts me in a good place to go to sleep both because of that, those rituals and because I haven't had as much screen time. Yeah. Okay. So if we can just build that thing that just marks out 30, 20, 30 minutes, yeah. we have a big advantage. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Unless you, I, I did see some, uh, some ad recently I was flying and there's like a picture of a guy and he has a screen inside the shower. So it's like this, this <laughs> screen talking about, you know, Oh, watch the news in the shower. And I'm like, God, as if we need another place, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's a good one because I always find with a lot of people as you're recovering, the, the success rate of just removing things is quite low without the ability to add things in. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Replacing a habit is much easier than just eliminating it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, going back to the habits, so screen, screen time and, and getting to bed, having that routine for, for sleep, any other recommendations you have? Um, having a pretty set bedtime and wake up time is really helpful. Mm. Once your, your body sort of aligns, if you do something over and over, it starts preparing you for bed, you know, melatonin is being mm. released and it sort of sets you up for more regular sleep patterns. <clears throat> um, not drinking a ton of liquid before bed. So you don't have to get up and go to the bathroom a bunch. Mm. Um, the wind down routine that we talked about is super important. Um, not drinking alcohol or smoking pot before bed is really helpful. A lot of people think those help them fall asleep and they do help you Mm -hmm. fall asleep, but they sort of mess with your subsequent sleep cycles. So you don't get as restful of sleep. So you're not going as deep, but it's occurring earlier. Right. You're just kind of, there's like four sleep cycles your brain goes Mm -hmm. through and they just get, yeah, you don't get long enough in the good ones when you have a THC or alcohol in your system when you go to sleep. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I, I interestingly heard uh, recently a psychologist talking about one of the best markers for somebody who, you know, is in a, they said in hospital or outpatient um, 
psych program. So, you know, these people are being monitored and probably some drugs and whatnot helping them out. And they said one of the best markers for improvement is a uh, waking up at the same time every day. So within 15 minutes, when they start seeing that stabilized, let's just say at 6 a.m., regardless of if you went to bed at 11 or midnight or 10 or 9, but that 6 a.m. wake up, 6 a.m. wake up, that is a early marker of success. And the interesting thing was he said, that's a marker that we will have success within the next six months. So it's not like it stabilizes in one month, right? but that's maybe the first, yeah, first reliable thing that we're doing for ourselves or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was fairly, it's always, I always love these, uh, the research that comes out and it's like, well, that's completely affordable and easy and easy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But still hard to do sometimes. And I think like the the six month thing brings up another good point. And that is that when you start trying to develop these habits and sleep eight hours a night and have the same bedtime and a bedtime routine and the same wake up time, that's not going to happen overnight either. You're going to mess up. You're going to, you know, drink until 11 and pass out and wake up way later than planned. You're going to skip your bedtime routine and watch a YouTube video. Those things are going to happen. But if you can slowly work towards more days being eight hours of good sleep over time, like that's what you're shooting for. Because a lot of people will try to change and feel like a failure when it's not like instantly on point. Um, Yeah. So something to keep in mind. So, so you have done some physique competition physique type training and competitions. Is that right? I did one and I okay. hated it. <laughs> I yeah. Well, it <laughs> that's like living nine lives, you know, in one physique competition as I understand <laughs> yeah. it. So you did that and you've achieved some other pretty big fitness. Uh, you have some pretty big, I mean, you're a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, you know how uh, it's very common to talk to a woman on a podcast and she's a black belt in Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's completely uh, rare. <laughs> Uh, how did that go for you? You seem like a pretty motivated individual. How did it go when, you know, no one gets a black belt in jujitsu in less than, I've never heard anybody getting it less than five years. And even that is lightning fast, right? Yeah. yeah. How long was the journey for you? And, and what were some, you know, plateaus and stall points and yeah, uh, were there ups and downs? It was just under 10 years. Um, I'd say the biggest stall point for me was probably while I was in the first couple of years of grad school, I just didn't train very much because I was so busy. Um, and then I think somewhere around purple belt, I had more time and I had a lot of motivation um, just because. Because it was close or just that point in your life? I mean, because um, you started seeing the, the sun or the light at the end yeah, of the tunnel, I so think to speak. Something about purple belt, you start to feel like you have a little grasp on mastery. Like you feel like. Yeah. It's like white through blue belt. You just feel like I'll never, I'm never getting better. Everyone destroys me. You know, something Mm -hmm. about purple belt was like, Oh, okay. I've got a couple things that I can pull off. And like, I'm starting to feel like I can imagine getting better. And so that was really motivated and motivating. And that happened to coincide with my having more time to train. So I just Mm -hmm. started training tons every day. And, uh, that was, it was a fun time. Was it a four five, six day a week pursuit for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes a few times a day. Yeah. Really? Yeah. All right. So that even with that number of high inputs, if we just look at training hours, it still was a 10 year journey. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it's interesting because obviously you're a motivated individual, but as we're looking for some, you know, we're looking at our patients that maybe are dealing with chronic pain that they've dealt with for literally 20 years. Yeah. I often wonder is like, are we just not choosing long enough goals for them? Like, Hey, we're, going to get you out of right. this, but long-term let's look at that Everest level goal. And- right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. And where were you, where were you living at the time you achieved your, your black belt? Like um, a major city? In, uh, California. Yeah. Orange County. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's interesting because I wanted to ask you too, as we talk about habits and all these things, you made a pretty dramatic move up to a very small town, right? In the <laughs> Pacific Northwest, which is a beautiful area. Uh, and I can see why you do that. But as you've done that, and here you are coaching people at the same time, and you obviously have a lot of knowledge. What do you notice are like positive markers of small town living versus large town living? I mean, I live in yeah. Las Vegas and I've lived in small towns myself in Las Vegas. It's, for example, very strange to me that I never consider the closing time of a, of a business as a reason <laughs> I would or would not go there. <laughs> but that happens all the time in the small town USA, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, there aren't really any businesses in our town. Uh, we have to drive a ways to businesses. And there's definitely like not only closing times to consider, but other things like my husband and I going out on a date and like having drinks and Ubering home isn't really a thing anymore because Uber doesn't go out here. And like, it's no fun if I want to be drinks. So <laughs> I was up in Whitefish, Montana, and we got a uh, we got an Uber. And we had to wait like half an hour. And I was like asking the guy. <laughs> It's like, man, it seemed like I waited a lot of a long time for an Uber. And he goes, and he like pulls up his phone. He looks, he goes, oh, that's because Trevor's not working tonight. So it's just me. <laughs> I was like, you know, the other, the Amazing. single other Uber driver, and you know that he wasn't working. I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But there's yeah. definitely, definitely upsides too for me mentally. Like mm -hmm. I really, I have a lot of outdoor hobbies that I'm pursuing. So being out here just makes those super easy. Like. I have a mule I'm training and I can just hop over and train my mule. I, I like to shoot. We have range on our property. I can go shoot. Just I can walk out the door and in a mile I can be on hiking trails. So for me, the upsides uh, outweigh the downsides of having, you know, less access to food. Yeah. Do you notice, have that. you ever looked at the, the location of your clients with RP and, you know, do people have more success with establishing, say, good sleep? hygiene strategies or good nutrition strategies if they're in a big city or in a smaller town or it has you know no correlation or causation i don't know yeah i haven't actually i've had clients everywhere from like a tiny town in alaska where she had to like go to an off-site location to get internet and talk to me to you know people That's in awesome. new york during covid uh and really it's an individual basis thing i think people people who have like very stressful jobs and busy social lives tend to struggle the most. And you could argue they have a lot of awesome things going on in their life and their trade-off has been sleep. So they have to work yeah. on that more. Um, people who have very established sort of schedules or jobs that have a very specific schedule tend to be a little better at it just because there's sort of schedule imposed upon their life already. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I know a lot of lawyers who sort of work their own hours and they struggle a lot because they can do what they want when they want. So the, the schedule's all in their hands, which can make it a little harder. Interesting. It's almost worse that they have too much time freedom. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It creates yeah, that an obligation on you to make your own schedule. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Well, okay. That's fantastic. Uh, when you look at people who have had success, so you guys have obviously had clients that have had massive success. Uh, I'd love to hear some of the stories that you have and what were the breakthrough moments, you know? Yeah. So the, person who's always struggled to maybe make nutrition a part of their kind of routine or make exercise part of their routine. What, yeah. what have you guys noticed along the way? Yeah. So I think what I've noticed just anecdotally the most is mm -hmm. people who have a really good attitude about their mistakes tend to be more successful. Like the people who are like, 
send me an email that's like, oh man, I, I messed up. I had some drinks and then I went and got French fries. Ha ha ha. And they kind of laugh off their mistakes and can take it all in stride. Mm -hmm. They tend to sort of internalize like shame and failure about those yeah. mistakes less and they can just sort of snap out of it and carry on better. So I think like just having a sense of humor about what you're doing and like an understanding that perfection isn't necessary to, to make progress is one of the yeah. most important factors that I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Like uh, I know periodization is in the name of, of your company. And I remember reading an article, I think it was by Mike Boyle. And he talked about like, you know, one of the, marks of a young coach is this idea of building in periodization. And one of the marks of an experienced coach is realizing that for most people, periodization is, is a self-driven thing of like, you know, having a week without a birthday party, a happy hour, a reason to right. go out with your friends <laughs> without the holiday season, you know, it goes in a good year, maybe you'll get, you know, 10 of those weeks in your training, right. you know? Yeah. And that's, a, that's okay. And that's great because he said, do you really want, <laughs> he, you know, I don't know if you read Boyle's writing, but he kind of, you know, he, he's kind of dry in his humor. He said, do you really want to be the person that has a perfect training program and no social life? Right. Is that exactly. the person you aspire to be? Cause that might not exactly. be exactly what you think it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, it is I have had that talk with quite a few female clients. Cause you'll, they'll send you their, you know, the picture of what they want to look like. And mm -hmm. it'll be this incredibly lean, like buff woman with abs, you know, and you're just yeah. like, all right, let's talk about your life. Like, let me explain to you how this woman has to live if she maintains that year round. And you sure. tell me how worth <laughs> it that is. Or do you want to get maybe halfway to that physique and still have like wine night on Fridays? And right. very often when you, you we lay out the trade-offs like that to people, they're like, oh yeah, actually I like yeah. wine night a lot. I just want to be a little bit leaner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, because you know, if you've ever like uh, my brother worked in Hollywood uh, when I was in grad school and, and you know, I, uh, he would invite me on to set because if nothing else, they serve very good food. You know, he'd be like, hey, come by at five because they're going to serve a really good dinner at six. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And I was totally broke. So that was the best meal I was eating. Right. Uh, you went through grad school. You remember what it was like. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I always, you know, when you see like female actresses in person, they are shockingly skinny. Like shock, yeah. it's almost, it gets close to unattractive and like almost, you know, you're like, Hey, she doesn't look healthy. Like let's right, get, her, right. get an IV in her, you know? Um, but then you see it on the screen and it's smoothed out and it, you know, it's right. way different. Yeah. And I always, I always think like with women and they're like, Oh, I need to, I, I have this patient and she's like, I need to get to the gym. I'm trying to lose two or three more percent body fat. Now I, I always think like, I wish there was like a, an anonymous app where, you know, people around you could rate you as like smoking hot and ultra thin. You're, right, you're already right. there, you know, like we have objective evidence to say you're already there right. in everybody else's eyes, but you're seeing yourself, you know, get out of the shower and all that stuff and beating yourself up. It's like, you know, no one here would think that, you right, know, right. no one here is People saying, I wish up. you would lose another 3% body fat. They're looking right. at it. <laughs> Some might be saying they want you to gain yeah. two or 3% more. I have yeah. a, a friend who's an actress in Hollywood and she told me about a term that I never heard, which is kind of disturbing called bevy girl meaning you beverages are your main source of calories and this is how oh. you stay thin. And I was like, that is disturbing that that exists and there's a cute name yeah. for it, but okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And you know, it's even tougher. I'm sure like going back to this idea of like small town versus, um, uh, large town is, 
I wonder how much social media has skewed these conversations that go on in our head in, in both ways. Because if you're in a small town, you just don't have enough exposure to people. You might be the, for example, in your town, I would guess that you are the most fit female, <laughs> you know, for maybe a hundred miles around, right? I might just be, be the youngest female and I'm 42. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that, you know, so that's cool, but you know, we don't always interpret ourselves as that, you know, as that successful right. or that we don't rank that way. Um, and so when you, you know, if you're on Instagram, it's like, oh, that's, that's the place I see multiple female, you know, um, versions, yeah. but then being able to say like, oh, that's totally skewed, you know? Right. I have definitely yeah. had that conversation with clients before who are quite fit and just, you know, really upset that they're not more fit. And sometimes yeah. I'll just say like, let's take this into perspective entire world population you're in the top five percent if not higher for fittest people so take a deep breath enjoy that and like sure you can work towards more but don't let it upset you don't let it ruin your day that you're you know only in the 95th percentile (laughs) yeah 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 and context is so important too you know because if you go sure there are people fitter than you who that's their job like you are maintaining a job or you have a family or you are you know, a, you're in grad school or whatever. It's like, when we start adding these qualifiers, you are now working up to the, half of the 1%, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I remember when I, I lived in Montana for, uh, for college and I was in the department of health and human services. And we had, our instructor was running this large study and, you know, the glories of being a lab assistant is so you get to interpret data. And this is back before computers really were the spreadsheet, we had to build a spreadsheet and it was like, you could hear the computer running the numbers. Right. Kind of thing, you know? yeah, we're about the same age. So I'm sure you remember this. And the other thing was the mouse had the ball on the bottom of it. Oh it yeah. Up. Yeah. Cause I kept banging it, on yeah. the, <laughs> banging it on the table. Uh, anyways, I remember there was a study from Eastern Montana and it was looking just at alcohol consumption. And it was like, these, these families in Eastern Montana, for those listening, Eastern Montana is very unpopulated, big, wide open spaces, not mountainous. It's more like basically plains and, and the badlands, but mostly plains. And they're growing tons of, you know, agriculture out there. Anyways, we got this data back and it was like the average consumption of, of males between something like the age of 25 and 65 was like 3.7 times higher than the national average. Right. <laughs> And so they're like freaking out and blah, blah, blah. And our instructor who grew up out there said, yeah, but you have to understand context. And this is for me was a like breaks breakthrough moment in my college career because you got to understand context. What are the markers you're using for alcohol consumption? And it was like a number of drinks per hour. So more than one drink per hour would be considered high consumption rate. Right. And if you looked at it, like these guys, basically what they were doing is they would get done with work and at right at five o'clock, they'd all haul ass over to the local bar and they'd meet up and they'd pound beers. So you're drinking like four beers an hour for two or three hours. Now, if you statistically, that's a very high amount of consumption, a very high amount. But the funny thing is these guys are also up at five o'clock and they're working their ass off and there's no martini lunches on in Eastern Montana. (laughs) You know, like there ain't no chance you're just grabbing a beer at lunch. These people are and the other thing hard is, physical labor and yeah. Right. Yeah. And the other thing is at, during those three hours, they're also, it's their version of sharing information. Like, Hey, how, how's your wheat doing? And you're like, I don't know what it is. Something's wrong or we're seeing a lot right. of fungus. Oh, really? 
Uh, that's good information. I need to make sure I'm checking for fungus now, or, you know, all this information. Right. It's like a social interaction, information exchange, like a lot of other beneficial right. things are going on. Right. That just happens to also have a very high consumption of beer. <laughs> that if you look at what is the standard for high consumption of beer, but then at 7.30 or whatever, they're all back home prepping for the next day, eating a meal right. with their family. And so the social interaction, the, the fulfillment level, the, you know, how many friends do you have? How many really good friends do you have? Those numbers are also off the charts in a right, good way. Right, right. Then that that doesn't ever get discussed. So she said, yeah. So if you have, if there is money in the government that can be aimed at reducing alcoholism, we can get a lot of it. But if there's money in the government <laughs> for increasing your, you know, self-worth or reducing suicide markers, we can't get any of it because these right, guys are- because these guys are doing you know, great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I realized, oh yeah, it's all about, you know, context and interpretation of data, which was, yeah. was interesting. So I wonder, like in your population with RP, uh, with RP strength is like just the fact that they contact you, are they now in the top 30% of healthy individuals just because they have the thought of right. a structured I'm program would make me better. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would say most of the time, most of the clients we encounter are uh, you know, above average in terms of fitness. Um, yeah. We definitely get some that are not. And I actually, I, I don't coach anymore, but when I did, those were some of my favorite because I, I really liked delving into like, okay, how can we, how can we facilitate a lifestyle change for you? Like, I'm not just going to mm-hmm. send you a template with macros and a workout plan. Like let's start working on like your daily habits before mm-hmm. we have any like outcome goals set in mind. Let's mm-hmm. see if we can get you to like, eat veggies and protein at every meal and go to the gym and do whatever you want two times a week. Let's just do Mm -hmm. that. And once that feels easy, we can start to shape it more and start looking eventually at like specific outcome goals. And those are the most satisfying to me. Yeah. Uh, If you don't mind, share a couple more tips because we get those people all the time that it's like, the reason you have back pain is because you don't move or you're wildly overweight. And it's funny when you were saying like the people that contact you are typically in that higher level of fitness. It's, but if you asked them like, where, how do you rank, you know, yeah, oh, fitness, yeah, they they're think like, they're oh, I'm horrible. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, like, I'm embarrassed. No it's context. Kind of, yeah. 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 So yeah, definitely. So I had, uh, I had one client who came to me and he was like, basically my doctor said I need to lose weight. Like, I don't know how, I don't know what to do. Like, this is my, he lived in New York and he had a very active social life. He drank a lot. He loved food. He went to like big fancy restaurants all the time. And so with him, I was like, you know what, let's, let's not worry about the food part yet. I just want to get you to the gym a couple times a week and like, just learn some of the equipment. Like here's a couple lifts to watch videos of just toy around, you know, walk on the treadmill, check it out, get, just get in the habit two times a week, same day, same time, go to the gym, do something. And so then once we got that sort of stable and he felt pretty good about it, we started messing with food a little bit like, okay, I want you to eat veggies and protein at every meal. Don't worry about calories, macros or anything, just veggies and protein at every meal. And that actually, that alone, he lost something like 20 pounds across a few months just because he was doing that. And he was just ecstatic, you know, and we hadn't like imposed any very serious plan on him yet. And he was just ecstatic about the changes and just sort of was like very baby steps sort of process where like he felt a bunch of self-efficacy from these little successes. And then we could move on to the next sort of, sort of step. And I think for me, what I always recommend first is get the exercise in first, get the training started first, because 
it's less stressful to add something to your life than to take away your food for most people. Mm -hmm. And training tends to have, you know, big changes in body composition from not very much when you're a noob. So it can be a really good way to get things started. It is, it is interesting. Like, you know, diet and exercise, if you break it in, you know, into that simple kind of thing, exercise doesn't hold a candle in efficacy for weight loss. Right. Like, right. Right. But it's almost like that's a misleading way of looking at it because what makes people it, I, you know, dealing with patients on the way, if they're just on a diet, like a Weight Watchers or some sort of diet structure, they don't also seem to be changing psychologically as fast. Whereas right. exercise yeah. seems to be that thing. Like I am achieving this. I am putting right. in this you, effort. You I, go, instead I'm of depriving it. yourself of something, you go mm-hmm. and do something and you get a result, yeah. which I think is just sort of feeds that self-efficacy more. Right. But it's, it's funny. Every, Oh, abs are built in the kitchen. And it's like, yeah, but the motivation to <laughs> do that are built is, in the gym. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I like it. Yeah. Lifestyles are built in the gym. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, it's just interesting how, how human beings work, you know, and how multifactorial this whole thing is like, oh, yeah. cause yeah. we haven't even talked about like, you know, people are going out socially for work. If you're a young professional, like that might be the most influential thing you do all week is, yeah go out with your senior partners, you know, and, right. and, uh, tip a few back and then somehow find the time for, for some exercise in there as well. I have a, luckily, actually kind of a funny story about just that for yeah. a particular client. She was, she was very high up in this big corporation and she was apparently the only female and the rest of the sort of head, hon- head honchos were these like old dudes who like drank whiskey and smoke cigars. And she felt like, to hang, you know, to stay in her position, she had to do that with them, be one of them, have the whiskey, smoke the cigars, but it was stressing her out. And I was like, you know what people in positions of power respect is conviction and dedication. So why don't you tell them you're, you know, trying to lose some weight, you're working on your health goals, you're not going to drink with them, you'll come out and hang out and like, make fun of them if they get sloppy, but you're not drinking with them. And she did it. And she was like, I couldn't believe it. Like, within weeks, like three of the six guys came up to me and asked me like what the program I was doing and got like interested in doing it themselves and stuff. So it can be interesting what we think like people expect us to do or what we perceive our obligations to be when you really just stand up for what you actually want. A lot of times it's turns out a lot different than people imagine. Yeah. And it's all about improving ourselves and it's just a magnet for everything, right? It's a magnet to ourselves. It's a magnet to those we work with and those we love and et cetera. So I yeah, think that's a great message. Sure. So Mel, if, if people are interested in, in, you know, hooking their clients up with RP strength, or maybe somebody listening is interested in their program. Um, can you give us an idea of where to go and what are some of the programs, you know, what are they, what are the products that we're looking at here? Yeah, absolutely. So um, rpstrength.com is our website. We have everything. So we don't have from- to spell out Renaissance periodization. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> strength.com. Okay. We, we fix that. Thank goodness. Um, I sometimes forget to spell Renaissance. Uh, and I shouldn't at this point. Uh, anyway, we have uh, everything from sort of basic do-it-yourself templates for diet and training from everything from hypertrophy for muscle growth to, you know, specific sport sort of training. Um, same thing, we have diet templates that range from simple to pretty advanced. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have a diet app, um, RP diet app. Uh, we have a bunch of books. We have one-on-one coaching and all of our coaches are, Almost all of our coaches are both PhDs and athletes. So we have a, a really 
really good team if you're if you want to make the investment and have like a <laughs> a really smart human being on your side. Everyone there is great. Um, I actually and I'm sure have, they're all of the mindset PhD mm-hmm. and athlete. If you ask them how much have you achieved in their life, I'll probably say certainly not enough. Yeah, not That's much. Why I'm looking not at enough. the next challenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also have a uh, a discount code for your listeners. It's That'd be great. Dr. Mel Podcast, D-R-M-E-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And that gives you 20% off of eBooks and templates on the website or six months of the app at $9.99 a month. I think it's usually $15 a month or something like that. Nice. Okay. So Dr. Mel Podcast, enter that code in when you're looking at stuff and yep. get a 20% discount. I like it. Yeah. Now, one thing we talked about early on, you and I, before we hit record, was that all these templates that you guys as a company really work to match the client's goals with the template. And oftentimes people say like, oh, I want the, let's just say hypertrophy program. And you ask them what they're doing. They're like, oh, I'm training a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm trying to get my black belt in in jits, right? Right. (laughs) And it's like, well, there might be better matches for you. So how does that process go? Yeah. So if you are looking, the template training templates, for example, come in a variety of days per week. So you can pick, you know, the two day per week or the six day two times a day per week or whatever it is, depending on your goals. And yeah, just remember, like if you're working really hard towards another sport, adding a ton of lifting is just going to make you worse at lifting and worse at your other sport. So mm-hmm. find one that sort of fits into your schedule. And oh, don't worry. It'll also probably negatively affect your relationships too. Right, yeah. you know, <laughs> after a few that. months of that. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> making not that popular work, but besides that completely, right. totally, totally ho- normal, totally healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you guys go through that matching process to work with yeah, people. There's and, kind of a, um, if you have a coach, they'll go through it in a very tedious manner and sort mm-hmm. of craft the training to fit your, your goals and your schedule and your other life stuff. Um, for the templates, you got to have a little self-knowledge kind of there's, you know, everything from at home dumbbell and band templates to like a mm-hmm. six day a week in the gym barbell training intensive yeah. program. So okay. you got to, got to pick your poison. And there's a sort of a little quiz on the website that walks you through, like, what are you looking for? What do you need? Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way of looking at it is like, uh, not how much can I do of like, what, what's the best way to do it? You know, is uh, maybe better. So, well, Mel, it was a pleasure talking with you today. I really appreciate the time. And and once again, yeah. And once again, people, if you're looking for Mel and her team, how many coaches are there now? Ooh, I think around 20. Wow. And yeah. so it's just like, hey, are you in incredible shape? And do you have a PhD? Do you have another <laughs> a job you can do in addition to the job you're currently right, doing? Right, right. <laughs> like if you hit all those criteria, you'll fit in here. So, <laughs> so the people are well, uh, man, you should uh yeah, it's a it's they're well motivated, if nothing else, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, on uh as we say on every one of these podcasts, Mel, thank you so much. And we always say go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks so much, Mel. Nice. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. Got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients. 